We are in the midst of a worship series entitled An Apostle's Epistles. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote several letters or epistles to several different places, and, and because they don't all fit together uh, in a nice package for a sermon series, we're just kind of talking about each one of those books as we read through the New Testament. We're talking about each one of those books one at a time. So I invite you to have your Bible out, uh, turn to Ephesians 3. We're going to come back to that during the uh, uh, sermon. So if you want to have that open to you, if you uh, uh, have an app on your phone, you're welcome to, to uh, uh, open that as well. Um, and follow along with me. So I'm in Ephesians 3, uh, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, would you do me a favor? People have asked you that before, right? Would you do me a favor? And, and there's that expectation that there's something that's a request that's going to come after that. And, and that, yeah, you're, and I mean, sometimes it's very mundane, right? It's, sometimes it's, it's, do me a favor, call my cell, I've lost it again. Sometimes it's, do me a favor, hold my Coke while I tie my shoe. Or, depending on your friends, do me a favor, hold my beer while I do something really stupid. <laughs> do me a favor. Or maybe it's a, a, a complete stranger, which makes it stranger when that happens, that, that, that you're in the grocery line and, and, and it's the person in front of you says, do me a favor, hold my spot while I go get the bread I forgot. And you know that there's a certain convention, a social convention that says that, that if you get out of line, you must go to the back of the line, start over. And so they say, do me a favor and hold my spot in line because that's kind of a part of that social rule, that contract that we have with each other that I'm going to hold your spot. And nobody else, when you come back, nobody can say, wait a minute, you're supposed to be in the back. No, he was holding my spot. So what are you going to do? Say no? I mean, you're going to be neighborly and you're going, to, you're going to be nice and say, sure, I'll hold your spot. As a matter of fact, if the line advances too fast, I'll push your cart with mine. Just inch you along. Do me a favor. People ask that of us all the time. And, and I can tell you that I have been the recipient of many a favor. Nancy and I have been married 34 years last month. We moved 17 times in our marriage. Now, you know, I'm a United Methodist pastor, and sometimes we move. Pastors, okay, your last one didn't, but I've had that experience. But would you believe it actually slowed down when we got into ministry? 
We just always found a better place to uh, rent or free or something like that. We just always found someplace else to live that was better than where we were living. And well, the cockroaches in the one place sort of chased us out, but you get the idea. And so, so that, that part where we say, um, do me a favor, seven of our moves were with uh, moving companies. That means 10 times my friends heard those calls. Do me a favor. I figure I owe some people. Even still today. Well, what, what, are the, what are the rules of that favor thing? Are there rules? I, I just was curious about this, and so I, I just Googled it and looked up, and I, I found a website that had this list. Keys to asking for a favor. See if this resonates with you. First of all, your benefit must greatly outweigh my inconvenience. I, I want to believe that the little thing I do for you, which just tremendously inconveniences me, is gonna change your world. It's gonna rock your world. You, it's, it's gonna be life-giving. Your benefit must greatly outweigh my inconvenience. Next, you should make it as easy as possible for me to do the favor. Have you, have you seen this commercial that's out right now? It goes something like this. Uh, somebody says, hey, do you know any good plumbers? Yeah, actually, I, I, I do know a couple. Oh, good. Could you get a few references for me and then schedule somebody for Wednesday afternoon? That, that might be just a, a little past being over the top. It, it may be a little bit much for you to ask of me. It's, a, it's a not so easy if you ask me to do that. The next is ask immediately. Don't make small talk. Don't beat around the bush. Don't call and say, how are the kids? I don't know. You haven't asked me that in 18 years. Why are you calling? Don't, don't, just, just get to the point. The next is do everything you can first. Have you ever had somebody call you and say, hey, do me a favor, and you're like, and you can't do that because we've all had this experience, right? Shake your head if you're listening to the sermon today. Thank you. Do me a favor. And then finally, reciprocate. Now, this is where I think it gets outside of the realm of favor. Because do you do a favor with the expectation that they will do it back for you? In other words, do you keep count? If I keep count, or if my friends keep count, they could move between now and next century, and I'd still have to help. Do you, do you keep count? Is it really a favor if you're expecting a payback? I, I, I question that part of the list. Every Sunday, um, uh, what happens, in case you didn't know, you're supposed to take that edge slip of your bulletin and tear it off and then note your attendance on it. And, uh, and then there's that place for prayer concerns. That was instruction. I was listening for the tearing sound. Um, but, but you can put a prayer concern on there, and it's like you saying to me, do me a favor, pray for me. Would you do me this favor of, of, of lifting this up in prayer? And we do that. And we have a, uh, we have a prayer list uh, that goes out to people. If, if you don't say it's confidential, it will go out to members of the church that we know are praying people, people that are going to lift these in prayer. And the staff does that as well. The staff, uh, um, well, the whole staff meets on Thursdays to pray for each other and our own concerns of life, for the staff concerns. But there's a group of us that meets um, uh, on Mondays uh, and 
it's, it's myself and Pastor Greg and Pastor Brenda and Zach, who does our youth ministry, and uh, Val Novotny, who uh, um, is our uh, uh, congregational care director. And um, we meet together because this really is a multi-generational church. Uh, we have, um, I think we have a couple of families that have, uh, it's, it's great-grandparents, par- grandparents, parents, great-grandchildren. We have four generations. There's a few families that we can say that of, but we have a lot that are three generations and, of course, several that are two generations here at the church. And so it makes sense as, as uh, um, uh, Brenda, who's in charge of children's ministry, she might know something about a family that somehow connects with another family member who's in the nursing home. It's important that we, that we be talking about each other's family concerns from our age level. So if Zach knows of a, uh, of a youth that's having a problem in their family or a problem with a friend, then Brenda knows that their younger sibling might be seeing that problem as well. Or, or Greg knows that when he sees them in a Bible study, or I know when I see them during the week, that, that we're all in conversation together. Or, or when, when a child in Sunday school says, hey, would you pay, pray for my grandmother? Well, that grandmother goes to church and, and, and that grandmother might get a call from Val. And we pray for those. We, we think that, that as you write those prayer concerns down, or if you go to lwinfo.org, you can put it in as a prayer concern digitally. It's more instruction for those of you that don't want to tear off the slip. You can do it digitally. Um, but we understand when somebody sends in a, a prayer concern, it's like saying, do me a favor. Will you pray for me? How many of your friends trust that they could ask you that? Could ask you that? Do me a favor. Will you pray for me? How many of you? I hear it all the time, but I'm in a profession where I expect to hear it all the time. And I do pray. But what about you? Where are you on that? What if a friend said, do me a favor. Will you pray for me? And then how do you do it? Because I, I think it'd be really helpful if there was a, a, a guide. Oh, look, there's the Bible. There's a guide in there on how to pray. Now, Jesus gives us that great prayer that's, that, that we say, that we said earlier in the service, the Lord's Prayer. And that's a great guide for prayer. But Paul also gives us, in, in this passage that I just read, gives us a guide for how to pray for friends. I love the way he outlines it for us. And, and, and so let me, uh, let, me, let me go through that passage uh, verse by verse, and let's take a look at how Paul gives us instruction on how to pray. It begins with the posture of prayer, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. A posture for prayer. Now, um, I'm not sure you have to bow your knees every time you pray. I stood up here and prayed just a little bit ago, right? I wasn't kneeling down to pray. I'm not sure you have to bow your knees before God in prayer. However, if you'll bear in mind that you're in a conversation with the creator of the universe, with the one who who is able to raise someone from the dead, if you'll bear in mind that the, 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 the one who sends the savior of the world is the one you're talking to, maybe there'll be enough humility about you that you recognize, I've got to have a posture that is, if not bowing my knees or bowing my head, at the very least, I'm bowing my heart. I'm being humble as I approach God. 
And so Paul gives us that example. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. As long as we're talking about posture of prayer, um, let, me, let me go beyond that. Uh, uh, what about what do you do with your eyes? I think you have two choices, open or closed. Um, crossed may be another, but... So in those two choices, open or closed, what do you do? Well, um, you know, I, I would say closed because for me, I'm easily distracted. And so that helps me to, to pray with my eyes closed. However, I do recall the first time, and it, it's like this memory's burned into my mind. I recall the first time I had a cell phone in my hand while driving. And I'm talking to someone who's going through something in life. And they, they said, would you pray for me? I said, absolutely, let's pray. And I closed my eyes. And I went, whoa, can't do that. <laughs> so maybe there's a time when your eyes wide open would be a good idea. Again, I, I, think, it's, I think it's the humility of the approach that's important. The other thing that, that here, here, do this, do me a favor. Raise your right hand. Okay, put it down. Now raise your left. Now watch this. Raise them both. Did you know you can raise your hands in worship and it's okay? <laughs> now, you know, in this area, we're all a bunch of stoic Germans, so we, we worship like this. I, I, but I don't, my head doesn't turn to the right or the left too much because I don't want the person next to me to know I'm looking at them as they're raising their hands in worship. Nancy and I will raise our hands in worship from time to time, and, and uh, we're comfortable doing that. I know some of you are comfortable doing that, and I hope that you'll do that. I hope that if you feel in the midst of a song that you are, are in the presence of God and praising God, I hope that you will lift your hands and surrender to God or, or lift your hands to offer yourself up to God or, or open your hands to receive whatever God has to give you. Feel free to do that. That's okay. The Bible has at least 20 um, uh, places in it where it says, lift up holy hands. It's biblical. And, and many have suggested that uh, the prophets of old, the, their posture for prayer was not head bowed, hands clasped, kneeling. A prophet's posture for prayer was eyes wide open, standing before God, arms apart. There's not a particular posture of prayer. I think there is an attitude that informs the posture of your heart. Paul goes on to say this. Verse 16, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. So we're praying for their spiritual strength. Praying for their spiritual strength. You know, um, as, as uh, Alyssa said earlier, you know, God answers all prayers. I think God answers prayers yes, and sometimes no, and sometimes wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for the answer. And the toughest part of, of prayer, especially for us who, you know, we want it now, we want fries with it, we want it just right away, we want it as quickly as we can. It's, it's so hard to, uh, to back off and say, okay, God, I'm going to be still and let you be God. But especially when we have a friend that's suffering, a family member that's, that's hurting, and we want to lift them up in prayer. What we're praying for in that case, when we know they're suffering, when we know, whenever anybody is suffering, it's a spiritual crisis. No matter what the suffering is, it's a spiritual crisis. It is, where are you in this, God? 
And what we're praying for them at this point is that they might have the spiritual strength to withstand the moment or the term, to be able to get through it. Lord God, give them the strength that they need to get through whatever they're going through. And then pray that they'll also know God's love. They'll recognize that, that, that no matter where they are in life, no matter what's going on in life, no matter who they are, what they've done or where they've been, God loves them. Own that for yourself. And then own it for others. Own it for the one that you're praying for. It says in verse 17, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. And then it goes on uh, uh, to talk about um, a love that's beyond our understanding, a love that is immense. That, that, have you ever talked about somebody as if they are, are you know, they're a mile wide and an inch deep? Right? You've heard that phrase before about somebody else, and you're just saying they're shallow. Well, well Paul says, what I want for you to, to understand is uh, that, that God's love is a multidimensional love. As he says in verse 18, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I pray that you'll recognize just how broad, how wide, how deep, and how high is the love that God has for you. Recognize something right now. That part where they said, do me a favor, pray for me, and then they gave you a topic. We haven't even addressed that yet. We're just getting warmed up. Verse 19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray that they'll have an understanding that surpasses cognition. You know, I, I, it was a... Um, uh, Help me with the name. Um, Louis Armstrong that said, uh, he was asked to explain jazz. And he said, man, if you got to explain it, you ain't got it. I think that's the case with faith too. I mean, I can, I can tell you the ABCs of it. I can give you the, the list from the Bible. I can tell you the verses and everything to go to. I can't give you faith. That's between you and God. I can give you the resources. I can, I can lead you to the water, but you got a drink of it. And when you do, you recognize this doesn't make sense at all. There's something about it that just doesn't make sense. That was the problem that the people in Israel had at first when, when, when people would talk about, yes, our Savior Jesus Christ died. And they'd go, uh, then how'd he save us? And then they'd go on to talk about the resurrection and they wouldn't buy into that. And that's where the struggle was. Because it's a faith statement that the one who died saved us. And his resurrection proves that for us. Faith doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes you just have to allow that I can, I can, I can talk about it, I can think about it, but some, there's some part of it that just, it doesn't make sense, especially in, in our construct, uh, our secular construct of life. I, I, I can't help but remember that um, uh, this, uh, uh, when I was going through the process of being ordained 30 years ago, um, and, and as I was going through that process, I remember um, that I had to go through a battery of psychological tests. I passed. 
but that was 30 years ago. Um, I had to go through this battery of psychological tests. They wanted to make sure that you were nuts enough or the right kind of nuts to go into ministry. And, and so, um, but, but the funny thing about it was, imagine this, imagine you are a, a, a psychiatrist or psychologist with no faith belief at all. All right, imagine that. And I come before you and you're gonna go through this whole testing of me. And then you're gonna say, now wait, wait, let's bottom line this. Let me be clear. You heard a disembodied voice within your heart tell you to quit your job, sell your house, and move into an 800-square-foot apartment with a family of four to learn uh, to get a seminary education so you could go about the process of moving from time to time for the glory of God. Yeah, you're not nuts. There's something about faith that if you have to make it make sense, it's not going to work for you. And you just have to pray for your friends that they'll get that point. That faith doesn't always make sense, but instead we, we practice a faith that surpasses knowledge. Then we're going to ask God for the favor. We finally got to it. Ask God for the favor that's brought you to prayer. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. And as you make that ask, as that verse suggests, leave open the possibility that God's got more in mind than you're asking for. I mean, you might be thinking, Lord, God, heal her after this knee surgery. And God's thinking marathon. I, I use this example all the time. It won't ever get old for me. It might for you. But, but I have a grand, I have three grandchildren. I love them equally. But one has a great story. Um, Vivian uh, is uh, two years old last month. And um, Vivian was born four months early. All right. She holds the record right now, we think. Uh, that nobody will ever confirm this for us, but we're pretty confident she holds the record for being the earliest birth to survive and leave Mercy Hospital. Now, according to what the people tell you in the NICU is, they, they say, assume that for every month early in birth, they will be a year behind in development, which means she's starting zero negative numbers. So at, at, at two years old, she should be negative two. Min two minus four is, doesn't work out. They say they catch up eventually. So just last month, she went to the NICU to have her two-year review, and they test her according to where she should be at two years old. And Vivian hit every mark. But one. Here's the deal. Two? Yeah, she, yeah, she's, yeah, my wife's correcting me. Um, Usually she just writes it down and hands it to me after the service, but right now. <laughs> when it comes to the grandchildren, you're doggone right. When it comes to the grandchildren, Dave's going to get it right. I get it. But so <laughs> the, 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 the one part that she didn't, she didn't get. So for, for every two-year-old, she, she ought to be able to pass these tests if she was born at the normal time. And so she, you're getting that, right? She's, she's passed every place she should be as a two-year-old, except one. You see, the problem is she's no taller than a one-year-old. So the gross motor skills, she can't get her leg up 
high enough to get up the steps. <laughs> and if not for the prayers offered by so many of our friends that we ask, do me a favor, pray for us. Pray for this child born at one pound, two ounces. And holy cow, did those prayers work. Because she is so far ahead of where we could assume would be possible. So far ahead. Abundantly more far, far more than we could ask or imagine. And then in conclusion, end with the glory of God. That's where Paul goes. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. One of the important things for us to, to see and recognize is that, that uh, no matter God's decision on things, God gets the glory. That's part of what I said at the beginning about being humble before the one you're coming before. Remember, God gets the glory no matter the answer. No matter the situation, God gets the glory. I grew up with a, a, a guy named Rob. And uh, Rob and I were best friends from third grade. We roomed together in college. And uh, uh, he was best man in my wedding. I was best man in his wedding. Um, we just, we were, we were fast friends. And we've lived in different towns for a long time. So, so we haven't gotten to see Rob and, and his family very much, Dana, his wife, and his children. Um, but uh, uh, I was, this is how close I was to their family. I, uh, Rob's mom, Ann, was a saint. And I say that because Rob's father, I was terrified of, absolutely terrified of. And, uh, um, uh, but I had backdoor and refrigerator privileges at their house. You know what that means, right? That means that when I showed up at their house, I didn't ring the doorbell or knock on the door. I walked in the back door. It was always unlocked anyway. I just walked in the back door. That's what I, what I did. And uh, um, if I wanted to go to the refrigerator for something, I was welcome to do so. And I think the back door thing was, uh, um, he's coming over anyway, and I'm not getting up to open it for him anymore. Leave the door open. By the way, if you knew Rob's dad, uh, um, he was a little bit off, and uh, um, uh, the raccoons were welcome in the back door as well. So I don't know where that ranks me. Um, but Ann, and she, she told me to call her Ann from like third grade. Don't call me Mrs. Walling, call me Ann. So I called her Ann from third grade. Ann always had a plate of cookies on the table, sometimes brownies, but there was always something to eat. And so I would come in the back door, didn't have to go to the fridge, the cookies were right there. I'd sit down, eat cookie, two, three, talk to Ann as I did. And eventually I'd go, hey, is Rob here? <laughs> I was close to that family and close to Rob. And one day Rob called. Well, it wasn't daytime. It's 2.30 in the morning. And Rob and Dana, his wife, and Robbie, the only child they had at the time, were in town here in St. Louis. We lived in St. Charles at the time. And Rob says, would you do me a favor? Mom's in the hospital and she's not going to make it. Would you come over and stay in the house with Robbie while we go to the hospital? 
course I would. Because when a friend like that asks you to do a favor, of course you would. Now, I, 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 I tried to think as I was preparing this sermon, I tried to think, was this a time that Rob would have known because we lived apart for so long, would he have known that I had gone deep in my faith and I was a praying person? Because he didn't ask me to pray for him. He just said, would you come and sit with Rob, with Robbie? And I wonder that about you. Do your friends know you're a praying person? Do they know that? By the way, if you'll tell them, <laughs> you'll become one. There seems to be an accountability, I think, that when somebody asks you to pray and you say, I will, <laughs> I think you've just made a contract with them and God. What if Rob had called me at 2.30 in the morning and said, Dave, would you pray? Would you take a moment to get out of bed and, and kneel down? Don't close your eyes because I don't need you falling asleep. Kneel down. <laughs> Would you wake up Nancy and ask her to pray with you? Would you take a moment and pray? What about you? The example's there for what to pray for, how to pray. The example's given to us. If you're a person of prayer, would you share that with a friend so that when they say, do me a favor, you're prepared? Amen? And amen.